Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your goodness and thanks for your word. Thanks that we get to hear from you now. And so we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would lift these words off these pages and so delicately and surgically move them into our hearts and do what only you can do. Lord, that's our desire today. That you would be glorified through our simple reading of your word and that you would be glorified in the change these words cause in our lives. And so please have your way with us, Lord, and guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn if you would to Jeremiah chapter 38. Lord willing, today we read 38 and 39. And um, so again, uh, big picture down to small picture, where we find ourselves in the uh, final days of the nation of Judah. Uh, during, uh, well, the nation of Judah was the remnant of the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, uh, the family through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is going to come. And, uh, and yet these, this is a rebellious uh, group of people. And they have, for many centuries, uh, with a few bright spots interspersed in there, but by and large, for many centuries, their, uh, their reputation, their lifestyle has been uh, to be disobedient to the Lord, to not trust Him. And in these most recent years that we're reading about up until here, until these chapters, um, basically they've, uh, they've embraced the gods, the, the false pagan deities of their surrounding nations, and they've sort of, you know, the God of the Bible is just one of the gods that uh, they worship, and as we know from the God of the Bible, that doesn't work, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. So in our New Testament context, how many ways are there to God? One. His name is Jesus. And uh, in the Old Testament context, before they knew really who Jesus was, the one way uh, to God was uh, total devotion to him. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read last uh, Wednesday night. Behold the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I shall command you to this day and all that, right? So the Jewish people recited all that. They knew all of that, and they knew that God was a jealous God, right? Ten Commandments. I mean, this goes all the way through. I mean, not to go off on Old Testament stuff, but what are you going to do if you can't go off on stuff, right? Uh, Ten Commandments. Very first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? That's exactly what they did. They put all these other gods before him. And so, as a result, uh, we, find the, we find the judgment of God coming. Uh, the judgment's going to come in the form of the nation of Babylon. Babylon's going to conquer uh, the nation of Judah. They've, done, they've, they've had sort of, by this time, they've had uh, two episodes where they've kind of uh, conquered and taken off some captives, but not completely uh, overtaken the nation. They did that once in 605 B.C. They did it again in about 597 B.C. And today we read about the final conquest that uh, most people say happened in 586 B.C. And so these are the things leading up. And along the way, because of God's mercy and because of God's goodness and because of God's love, when danger is coming, what does a loving person do? 
He warns his people. A loving person, when danger is coming, when consequence of behavior is coming, a loving God warns his people. A loving God would not say, hey man, it's okay. You just play a little more folk music and everything's going to be fine. Right? That's not what a loving God does. That's what a deceiver does. And we see that even today, right? And so this loving God has sent uh, this faithful man by the name of Jeremiah to uh, warn these people. At the time that we're reading here today, Jeremiah has been preaching for about 40 years. Count them, 40 years. That's a long time of not being listened to, right? You parents, you ever felt like you're not listened to by your kids for 40 years? <laughs> Ouch, that's a long time. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So, chapter 38, we'll start. Uh, chapter 38, I was, as I was reading through this and praying about it, I want us to kind of take home some things here. We see, in a sense, Jeremiah, we, we've, we've talked about Jeremiah and his message. There's also with that Jeremiah the man, right? Because we're all ministers, right? And as we're all ministers, we have, therefore, a ministry. We have a message. We have uh, uh, those around us in our unique circle of influence. And we have a message of the, uh, to bring the gospel to those folks. And Jeremiah had that message too. But it, it, as a part of that, we see Jeremiah the person. And in our lives today, right, we have our lives that we live and the ministry that we carry to the world. And those things really can't be separated. They're sort of the two sides of the coin. And so today we, uh, in this chapter 38, we see specifically uh, some episodes of Jeremiah the man and his life. And his life plays out a little bit like a stage drama. So with every good stage drama, um, there are you know, our family's been watching old Roy Rogers movies lately, right? And in old Roy Rogers movies, there are what kinds of guys and what kinds of guys? Good guys and bad guys. Good guys, and bad guys. That's right. And uh, we were away last night, and, the, and uh, uh, those that remained at home watched Roy Rogers, and to which I woke up this morning and I said, did the good guys win? They always win. That's right, at least on Roy Rogers. And so, um, so we, see, we see good guys and bad guys. I'm going to highlight today that I believe there are two types of good guys and two types of bad guys. Does that help? Right? Okay. So I don't do uh, necessarily three points with clever alliteration, but I am going to talk about two good guys and two bad guys. Chapter, one, chapter 38, verse 1. Now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah. Did I pronounce all those right? Thank you. Uh, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. This is what Jeremiah has been saying. <clears throat> he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, just so you don't get confused, Chaldeans is just another, another name for Babylonians. So he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, the city shall be given to the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. So Jeremiah has been saying, Babylon is going to come because of our sin. 
were not repentant. And so what, what we need to do, Jeremiah's final warning to the people is, Repent before God and surrender to the Babylonians. If you surrender to the Babylonians, your life will be preserved. Okay? If you don't, if you insist on staying here and trying to fight the Babylonians, then, um, you know, the sword, the famine, and the pestilence are going to come your way. And so, again, in these prior uh, deportations of exiles, right now, at this point in writing, Daniel's hanging out in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are hanging out in Babylon. Ezekiel's hanging out in Babylon. And many others are hanging out in Babylon. And all the, the, the heat of the, of the cooking pot, if you will, is in Jerusalem. And so uh, Jerusalem right now is a dangerous place to be. But uh, many of them refuse to hear that. Well, if you're on the side of the folks in Jerusalem that are trying to, you know, rally... Um, you know, rally the strength of your people, the worst thing that can happen is a guy saying, hey, by the way, we ought to surrender. We ought to give up. We ought to just turn ourselves into the Babylonians, right? That's not good for team morale if you're trying to fight them off. And so that's what these guys are saying. And so the stage is sort of set between a face-off with Jeremiah and these four guys. And so um, the battle lines have been drawn. And it all has to do with Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah's prophecy that the Babylonians are going to come uh, and destroy and burn the city with fire. Now here's the problem. Jeremiah's been prophesying for 40 years. He's been saying stuff is going to happen. Along the way, early in Jeremiah's ministry, we see lots of false prophets that say, oh no, none of that stuff's going to happen. None of that stuff's going to happen. Babylonians aren't going to come. And then next thing you know, they come. Next thing you know, they come again. Now here they are come for the third time. The point is, Jeremiah's prophecies have all come true thus far. Point number one. Point number two, Jeremiah's prophecies are all very consistent with Scripture. We've mentioned a, a few times. If you go back and look at, at Deuteronomy, towards the end of Deuteronomy, there's some blessings and cursings that, that God gave through the mouth of Moses. And he said, you know, if you guys forsake the Lord, and if you do basically everything that they wind up doing, these are the things that are going to happen to you. There's going to be a foreign nation going to come. There's going to be this happen, this happen, this happen, this happen. Everything consistent with Deuteronomy is the thing that Jeremiah has been saying and the things that have been happening. So Jeremiah's credibility has already been established. And so I like to think of it this way. These four guys, Shephatiah, Gedaliah, Jukol, and Pashur, these guys represent one type of bad guy. Okay? There's the evil, conniving, up-to-no-good bad guy, right? The kind of guy your parents told you to stay away from, right? Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Now, we're righteous through Jesus. So, this applies to us. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Why? For the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Can I give us a little bit of a warning cry? Sometimes because we're Christians, we think we're immune from those kind of warnings. I'm a pretty rock-solid kind of guy. I'll never stray. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked will lead them astray. You know, we had some friends, I may have mentioned this before, if I did, forgive me. We had some friends from Minneapolis uh, here a few weeks ago, and we kind of got to talking about like, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh yeah, they're divorced and they crashed and burned. 
Oh, yeah, whatever happened to so-and-so that we used to go to church with, had sweet fellowship, raised our hands, sang to the Lord, all that. Oh, yeah, well. And, you know, it's like, really? And this couple that, that we were visiting with, um, they're honestly a little bit of a discouraged point because we're looking around. Like Scripture says, who can find a faithful man? And, you know, we don't want, we want to be the faithful guy, the faithful gal, right? One of the ways is to be very careful about who we hang with, who we let influence us. The righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray, right? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Can I point out that these four guys here, they tend to run in packs like dogs. You ever notice that? These kind of people run in packs like dogs. Turn over if you would. I'm just going to, I want to read just briefly to Proverbs chapter 1. You know, sometimes we read these words and we think, honestly, let me just, let me just warn us right now. Sometimes we read words like the words I'm about to read, and we, at the end we say, well, duh. <laughs> you ever read scripture and you say, well, duh. Tell me something new, please. Right? So, give me something insightful. Well, just consider this. It's written there for a reason. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 through 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now you might say, what? Duh. See, my kids say duh. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood, you might say, duh. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and hold like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son... Solomon says, do not walk in the way with them. Not only don't go with them, you stay away from them. See, there's a difference. Sometimes we think, well, I can hang out with them, right? Or like, you know, uh, the classic is, you know, well, I know he's a chainsaw murderer, but he's so cute. Right? 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 Stay away from him. I'm going to ask her who she's thinking about. (laughs) Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. I like the idea. Number one, stay away from these people. They run in packs, and they want you to be a part of their pack. Number two, one minute we're talking about murder, next minute we're talking about somebody that's greedy for gain in the same context, right? Just be careful. Just be careful. 
There are some people that are just, frankly, up to no good. They like to run in packs. Avoid them. So that's these four guys. Shephatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pashur. And what they want to do now? They want to take out Jeremiah. Therefore, the princes, these four guys, they said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city, and, thus the, and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. He's telling these people to give up, Mr. King. He's not good for our military defense. We've got we to put him to death. And so they appeal to the king to kill Jeremiah because his words are contrary to their cause. And again, I would say it's better to seek truth than to try to manipulate a certain outcome. It's always better to seek truth. Everything Jeremiah has been saying for 40 years has come true. It's consistent with Scripture, and his credibility has been established. I don't care if he weakens the people. We should maybe heed his warnings. But no, these guys want to kill him. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Now, I want to just park there for just a second. This man, Jeremiah, does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Is that true or false? It's flagrantly false. Now, why do I park there for a second? Because Jeremiah was desperately trying to seek the welfare of his people, of the people, of God's people. And let me just say this. I've been alive long enough. Sometimes as Christians, that very thing that you're so diligent to do right is often, not always, but is often the very thing that people will accuse you of doing contrary to what you're trying to do. Does that make sense? If you're all about trying to be generous, they're going to accuse you of being greedy. It just somehow, it seems to work that way. Not always, but don't be surprised if it does, is what I'm saying. So, we're introduced to this guy, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the good guys, right? So, one type of good guy is Jeremiah. Very visible, willing to take the heat, speaking the truth with boldness, and reaping the consequences, whatever God brings his way. That's Jeremiah. He's a good guy. Very public figure. Got a book named after him, Jeremiah. Right? There's a type of bad guy. They run in packs. These four guys in verse 1. They run in packs. They're just always up to no good. They're, they're just pathetic. They're, they're evil. Verse 5. Then Zedekiah the king said, Hey, look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. Can I suggest the king is another kind of bad guy? He's what I'd call the wimp, right? The wimp is his own flavor of bad guy. Be careful of him. If you come across him, keep your distance from him. And for goodness sake, don't be this guy. The king is a wimp. He went to the Pontius Pilate school of evil, right? These guys are throughout history. They're throughout the scripture. They're, they're evil. Now, it's always dangerous to overuse or misuse a position of authority, right? We call that abuse, 
right? If you're in a position of authority and you overuse or misuse that, we call that abuse. But less often identified is it's also wrong to neglect the authority that you've been placed in, right? At 33 AD, in Jerusalem, who is the appointed governor established by the Roman Empire? Pontius Pilate. Therefore, it's his job to administer justice. How did he do? Not too good. We give him an F. Eternally. Sadly. Sadly. At 586 B.C., who is the appointed man to be the authority to care and nurture and protect and guide and lead the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem? What's his name? Zedekiah. He's been given a task to do, and he needs to do it faithfully. What is he instead? He's a wimp. He's a wimp. This is a, this is, this is a kind of a bad guy. He kind of carries himself differently than those, those guys in verse 1, but he's nonetheless still evil. We've got to be super careful. If you're put in a position of authority, I don't care if you're a parent, I don't care if you're in an authority at the workplace, whatever, you've got to be diligent to do that. You've got to be diligent to, 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 uh, to do that faithfully. And by the way, if you do that faithfully, you're probably going to be called a control freak at one point or, t- or another. <laughs> but that's okay. It's what it is. I like, some of you heard me say before, I, I love to listen to a guy named Damian Kyle. He teaches at Calvary Chapel Modesto. If you ever want to like, like if you're not here and you need to listen to a good teaching sometime, right? Like just put me on mute and dial calvarychapelmodesto.com. He's a great teacher. He's a, but one thing that's about him is he's a very meek man. If you listen to him talk, or particularly if you watch him talk, right? I think he's got a fixed camera like we do because it doesn't really need to move any, right? He just kind of sits here and he'll talk. I mean, he's got amazing insights, but he'll just kind of talk quiet and meek and, and mild. And, you know, I've seen him at conferences and stuff and, you know, and, and just an amazing guy. But... But personality-wise, super, like, soft-spoken, laid-back, chilled. And I heard him teach one time about a, a Jehovah's Witness came to his house. And, you know, I mean, I pity the Jehovah's Witness that tries to talk to Damien Kyle. <laughs> right? It just ain't going to work. Yeah, but anyway, he got a, after a little while, the guy realized he's going nowhere with him, and, he's, and Damien's standing at his front door, Mr. Meek and Mild. And the guy's like... You know, I'm butchering the story a little bit, but anyway, he's like, I can tell I'm kind of getting nowhere with you. Can I come in and talk to your wife and kids? And I love the description (laughs) that Mr. Meek and Mild Kyle says. He's like, that ain't going to (laughs) happen, right? Because he's in a position of authority, right? I've heard in other situations when he's talking about pastoring the church and, you know, some guy will come in to try to, well, he's had a couple of situations. Thankfully, we're exempt from this one. Or guys will come in to, 
for the sole purpose of trying to find a young vulnerable girl in the church, right? I mean, it's a good place to find a girl, right? And so these guys will come in, and Damien's like, like rifle. <laughs> you come in here like that, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm protecting this, this flock, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how we handle authority, right? Do those people think he's a control freak? Yeah. yeah, do they make all kinds of accusations on social media and write him nasty emails and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Does he care? No, no, right? And so if you're in a position of authority, don't be Zedekiah. That's the point. Don't be Zedekiah. Zedekiah's like, hey, Jeremiah, he's in your hands because there's nothing I can do against you. I'm sorry, you're the king. There's every bit you can do against them. You're the king. So these guys, they took Jeremiah. They cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, who was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And, they, and in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. And so most commentators say their intent was clearly to kill him. You know, they said to the king, hey, let this man be put to death. So it would appear that their motive was to kill him. But this is convenient because if we drop him down in a pit of mud and let him just get stuck there and starve to death, then, hey, we didn't shed innocent blood. Right? Did they shed innocent blood when they dropped him down here? No. But was their intent to kill Jeremiah? Yeah. So, so they'll be kind of off on a technicality, right? That's convenient, right? That's how these kind of people operate, right? John chapter 18, verse 28, during the trial of Jesus. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, right? So this would have been, you know, the, the, the morning as they're going through all these trials. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, what? These guys are leading Jesus. You know, they've, they've, they've hijacked him from the Garden of Gethsemane. They're leading him into Annas and Caiaphas and all these, you know, mock trials. They're going to falsely accuse him. They're going to ultimately crucify him. But along the way, they've got to watch out and make sure they don't go in the courtyard because it's Passover weekend, right? And I want to eat the Passover. Why do I want to eat the Passover? Because I'm a Jew, don't matter that I'm going to kill the Messiah. I just want to eat the Passover. Right? This is how evil works. Be careful not to try to hide behind some technicality. You think God sees through that? Yes. God sees through that. Verse 7, then Ebed-Melech. This is the second kind of good guy. Okay? We met two bad guys. The four guys listed in verse 1. And Zedekiah, that's your two types of bad guy. And I would propose that Jeremiah and Ebed-Melech are the two kinds of good guys. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard what the, that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. And when the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king. These men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likely to die from hunger in the place where, they, where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. So this guy Ebed-Melech was a court official. He was an Ethiopian. 
I like that it's, it's almost kind of consistent with Scripture. He's not a Jew. He's not hiding behind the Passover. He's not, you know, he's just a guy. He's not even a, he's a foreigner. He's not even, you know, one of us if you're Jewish nationalists. And yet, he's kind of like the Good Samaritan, right? He's guy that's just going to show up and have compassion. Now, here's what kind of good guy he is. No big notoriety. Did anybody know the name Ebed-Melech before you walked in today? I barely did, and I read this, right? Ebed-Melech. You know what's interesting? I looked this up. Ebed-Melech is really a title. It's really a title. You know, we may not even, it, it means, uh, technically his, mean, his name means servant of the king. So it might even just be that this wasn't even his real name. It might have just been his title. This guy, servant of the king, showed up. So super low profile, not much notoriety, simple average Joe. Kind of like, you know, the Good Samaritan, right? We don't even know that guy's name. But we know the story. And so in this case... No big notoriety, but he's compassionate to those in need. He's able to call good, good, and evil, evil. And he's willing to stand up to the king to advocate on behalf of someone who can't advocate for himself. Wouldn't that be cool to be said of us? That we can call good, good, and evil, evil in a time in history where that seems to be blurry, and we can have compassion on those that we become aware of that need compassion, and that we're willing to take a risk and stand up and ask the king, what's up that Jeremiah is in the dungeon? He can advocate on behalf of someone who can't advocate for himself. It's a great example, this guy, Ebed-Melech. So verse 10, then the king, because he's a wimp, commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, sure, take from here 30 men with you and, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So, you know, the king just says yes to whoever's in front of him, right? And so, in this case, it happens to be good news uh, because he says that to Ebed-Melech. He probably sends, tells him to take 30 men because he knows there's going to be a little bit of conflict when they lift Jeremiah up out of the, uh, out of the dungeon. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so, so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So the court of the prison would have been an area where he was still kind of under guard, but had a little more uh, freedom. You know what I love about this story? Is that God chose to put this detail in for us that this guy Ebed-Melech, because he's a man of great compassion, decides that, you know what, those ropes would probably hurt his armpits lifting him up out of there. Could they have gotten Jeremiah up out of there with ropes, with, with no rags? Yeah. Him and the other 30 guys, they could have yanked on him and giving him rope burns. But they chose to find some rags, 
which, you know, it's not like our day and age. You know, a suit of clothing was a big deal. I mean, that was an extra suit of clothing in the ancient world was really like a sign of wealth. And so they're able to find some old rags and pass those down so Jeremiah can put them under his armpits because this man has such tender compassion. It's a great picture. It's a great picture of a great example for us, and I love that God so carefully includes that little detail for us. In my mind, that's an unnecessary detail, right? It doesn't really contribute to the narrative of what's happening, but in a sense, it totally does, because this, to- this story is totally all about this guy's great compassion for this guy, Jeremiah. And so, on one hand, it seems like, yeah, it's kind of an inefficient use of words, right? Can't you just yank that guy up with ropes? Or if he does, if he does put rags under there, do you have to tell us about it, right? I want to get on to chapter 39, which is what you're all thinking, right? But it's an important detail. It's a very important detail. Then Zedekiah, verse 14, the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. And so we talked about this last, I believe last week. Chapter 37, verse 3, Zedekiah asked Jeremiah to pray for him. Chapter 37, verse 17, king asked Jeremiah, is there any new word from the Lord? Right, like he's expecting Jeremiah to change his mind after 40 years. And now he wants to hear again if there's any news that might be different this time. So he starts to ask this question, but he never gets to ask it. Now let me ask you this. You're Jeremiah. This is another hallmark of a good guy. You're Jeremiah. A bunch of thugs came and asked the king, can, can we drop Jeremiah into a pit and let him die, let him starve to death? king says, yeah, sure, whatever. Some other guy by some great act of compassion, lifts you up out of there. The king then calls you into his, his office and says, hey, i got a question for you. What are you going to say if you're Jeremiah? If you're prone to vengeful bitterness like I am. You're going to say, are you kidding me? But Jeremiah, he speaks the truth. He does it graciously. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, you know what, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you're not going to listen to me. So Jeremiah's just calling it out. He's saying, you know what, basically I know you're evil. I know you're wimpy. I know you lack the, the courage to do the right thing. But here again, God, through the mouth of Jeremiah, is giving him one more opportunity to repent. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, as the Lord lives who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. And so, you know, deep down he knows that Jeremiah is a just man speaking the words of God. But he knows enough to promise not to kill Jeremiah, but he doesn't know enough to repent. Here's another thing that sometimes we wrestle with, or we see played out in the stage of life. There's a certain type of person, often the wimpy evil man, who really at the end of the day knows the truth. 
Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. No doubt about it. It's like the guy knows enough truth to call it for what it is, but he lacks the courage to go the distance to repent. You see this? He's like, mm, yeah, I know that you're, you probably don't deserve to die, so I'm going to protect you, but I'm not going to repent and listen to your prophecy, your warning, your admonition to uh, repent before God and to surrender to the Babylonians. Then Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live, the city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your household shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. So again, amazingly, Jeremiah has opportunity to say the same thing he said yet again in an effort to get the king to repent, but he doesn't. And Zedekiah the king said to the Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, <coughs> and they abuse me. So, again, we've highlighted this the last few weeks. The evil man here is only concerned with the outcome. He's motivated by his emotions. He's motivated by self-preservation. He's not motivated by principle. He's not motivated to do what's right. He only cares about the outcome and his self-preservation. Beware of somebody who's only, only concerned with self-preservation. But Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver you. Please, again, please obey the, the voice of the Lord which I speak to you. Do you hear the heart of, do you hear the, heart of the Lord speaking through this man? It's amazing. And again, if I'm the guy that's in Jeremiah's position, called on to, to be in the presence of the king now, right? It would be so hard for me to have any compassion for him whatsoever, much less to beg him to this point of repentance. But Jeremiah here is begging him to repent. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you, so it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. Please. Amazing. He's not bitter. There's no, there's no evidence of bitterness in Jeremiah's heart. This is a remarkable, this is a remarkable aspect of a good guy. Can I tell you this? In this life, there will be people who will wrong you. Period. Straight up. No question about it. There will be people that will wrong you. And the question in your heart before God needs to not be, do they wrong me or do they kind of wrong me or do they write me or did, what exactly? And we're, we're all about that, that offense that they gave, Right? But we got to be super careful not to take offense. Because taking offense is the first step towards a bitter heart. And Hebrews chapter 12 talks about a root of bitterness. Right? The root of the tree, do you see it? Do you see the root of a big oak tree? No, but you sure can see what it can produce. A big oak tree. Right? And a root of bitterness, we don't always see it. 
but we see its effects. Jeremiah is not a bitter man. And let me just tell you this, he would have had to make a pretty deliberate decision not to be that bitter man. Having just come out of the dungeon, his feet were probably still muddy, right? And yet begging this king to surrender so that it'll go well with him and that his soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is, this is the word of the Lord. That the, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the, uh, in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, your close friends have set, upo set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and turned they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause the city to be burned with fire. So if you don't repent, if you do repent, it's going to go well with you, your soul shall live. But if you don't repent, all your family is going to be taken away, and everything's going to be destroyed. And look at this, the last sentence in verse 23. And you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Another highlight of, the, of being in a position of authority is you're ultimately responsible for what happens in the lives of others. He says here, the way he phrases it is that Zedekiah will have caused the city to be burned with fire. He's responsible for his actions. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know of these words and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you and they come to you and say to you, declare to us now what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes came to, Je to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. And so Jeremiah, uh, you know, even at this end, end of this, Zedekiah has given him political advice, political maneuvering, and Jeremiah doesn't lie. He just uses wisdom and some discretion to share uh, enough details, and sometimes discretion is a good thing. So, briefly, we'll read chapter 39. Chapter 39 is really uh, the sad story of the overthrow of Jerusalem. Interestingly, uh, it's also recorded, this, basically the same story is recorded in chapter 52 of Jeremiah in 2 Kings 25 and in 2 Chronicles 36. So it's written four times. And just help you overview, this enters us now into sort of a new chapter in the book of Jeremiah, right? Everything thus far, the first 38 chapters has been up to the point of the destruction of Jerusalem. And now from 39 to 52, we're going to talk about life sort of after the destruction of Jerusalem. And so uh, in the ninth year, of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. So we've talked about this. Their strategy was to surround the city. There appears to be a, a, a brief reprieve when they went to deal with Egypt. We talked about that over the last couple of weeks. But basically, they surrounded the city and starved them out for, um, <clears throat> if you do the math here, uh, honestly, I, some say this math counts out to 18 months. Some say it counts out to 30 months. Um, different people disagree with it. But anyway, a long time, right? 
a long, long enough to starve them out. And then uh, the fourth month, the ninth day, uh, the city was penetrated. So they came in and uh, captured um, uh, a, weakened, a weakened city. Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. Nergal, Sherezer, Samgar, Nebo, Sarsashim, Rabsaris, Nigal, Nergal, Sarezer, Rabmak, and the rest of the princes of the king of Babylon. Did I pronounce those all right? Good. Those guys. And uh, so what did they do? I mean, you got to picture this. They came in and parked themselves right there in the, you know, in the city gate and kind of sort of established uh, sort of their own dominion, sort of ceremoniously. And so it was when Zedekiah, now what word are we using to describe Zedekiah? Starts with a W? He's a wimp. He's a wimp and he's all about self-preservation, right? So let me ask you this. He's a wimp. He's all about self-preservation. We've seen consistent behavior in his life thus far. We're now in a new crisis. What are we going to expect him to do? Man up? Protect his people? No. Say, I was wrong? No. no. If you didn't know the story, what would you expect him to do? Run. Run like a baby. So it was. And, and here's the thing for us. Here's the thing for us, right? We all have a certain character. We all have a certain predictable pattern of behavior, right? And generally speaking, that, that event, that, what I do today prepares me for how I will respond to a situation tomorrow, right? right? And so often, I just see this, you know, we, we think of this life so much as a series of sprints, but this life is a marathon. And in this life of a marathon of faithfulness, looking forward to that day when we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, each step along that journey is a step of decision, either of right or of wrong, but it's also a preparation for the next step. And let me just tell you this, sometimes we need to get back on the right road. And I recognize that it's difficult. I recognize that it's difficult. And sometimes, but let me just say this, I was talking to somebody earlier, Philippians chapter one, I, I tell this to you guys all the time, he who began a good work in you will what? complete it until, until the day of Jesus Christ. And I don't care if, you're at the, if, you're, if you feel like you're at your destination. Raise your hand if you feel like you're at your destination. Well, I've arrived. I'm in pretty good shape with the Lord. I think i am got it all together. Who is that guy? Anybody? None of us. But we can recognize that we're on the right journey, right? We're on the right road. We're on the road of carrying out that life that God has called us to carry out. And all I can say with that is it tends to go as it goes, right? So Zedekiah, he's gone a certain way. Guess what? He's going to keep going a certain way. So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, saw those Babylonian guys sitting in the, in the, in the middle gate, that sure enough, they fled. And they went out by city. What time of day do you think they went out? By night. by night, of course, they went out by night. It's predictable. By way of the king's garden. I think king had his own secret back door, right? Does that fit? It totally fits. By way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls, probably had his own little secret stash. Probably had a bottle of water waiting for him. Perrier on his way out. By the, by the way of the plain, and he went out by the way of the plain. And so what's he do? He escapes. 
He's a man in authority. According to Romans chapter 13, he would have been given that authority by God for a reason, for a purpose, that he could walk in authority to nurture and protect those entrusted to his care. And what we see here is he bails. I have a friend, same friend actually that I was talking about that came to visit a couple weeks ago. He says, trials test character and they also reveal character. Very, very fitting for Zedekiah. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. And so they caught up with Zedekiah. They overtook him after he ran out at night, him and his family. They took him to Riblah, which is about 200 miles north of Jerusalem uh, in ancient Syria there. And that was a remote headquarters for Nebuchadnezzar, okay, over the Babylonian Empire. And so uh, they capture him, they take him up there. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed the no- all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now there's an interesting thing here. We've talked about this a couple times. In Jeremiah 32.4 and in Jeremiah 34.3, it says that Zedekiah would see Nebuchadnezzar eye to eye and face to face. But then if you look ahead in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13, it says that Zedekiah would be taken off to Babylon, yet he would not see it. And at first glance, it seems like those are contradictory prophecies, right? He's going to see Nebuchadnezzar eye to eye, but he's going to be carried off to Babylon and he's not going to see it. Well, how does this work? He's carried off to Riblah, 200 miles north of Jerusalem. He does see Zedekiah eye to eye. The last thing he sees on this earth is the murder of his own sons and all of his nobles and then his own eyes are gouged out and he's carried off to Babylon. A perfectly specific literal fulfillment of all of those prophecies. That's how God loves to fulfill prophecy. And so uh, I love the example of that. I don't like it for Zedekiah, but I love the example of God's specificity uh, that we see there. And so Jeremiah, or Zedekiah gets blinded, carries off to Babylon, where he will die there uh, at a later time that nobody really knows. But, um, I'm sorry, and, verse 8, And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Now Jeremiah, on repeated occasions, had warned that the city would be what? Burned with fire. Again, the specificity of these prophecies is chilling. Then Nebuzaradan, not to be confused with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, so he's kind of his general, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. Now, but Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So this guy, captain of the guard, he's doing sort of the cleanup work, if you will. After they've uh, taken Zedekiah off, this guy Nebuzaradan, he's, they haul off a bunch of captives and he leaves some people there to sort of guard over the land. And now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him and do him no harm, 
but do to him just as he says to you. Now, on a human level, this seems understandable, right? Seems like a good strategy. You know, probably guys like Daniel, guys like Ezekiel that are already over in Babylon, they probably said, hey, when you go take Jerusalem, go easy on Jeremiah. He's been encouraging everybody to surrender to Babylon. Probably seems that way. Or, and that's not unreasonable, or we could say this is God's divine favor. This is God's divine favor on this man, Jeremiah. And can I just say this? God takes care of his people. And you look at this and you say, yep, Babylonians came in, they conquered, they decimated the whole city, but they gave specific orders to the general, go easy on that guy, Jeremiah. And we might say, yep, that's the favor of God. But we might rewind a minute and say, wait a minute, uh, Jeremiah just got pulled out of a dungeon. <laughs> Jeremiah has been falsely accused. Jeremiah, we would, we would agree, had, has had a hard life. Yeah. Right? But yet, ultimately, there's the favor of the Lord, right? What's the point in all that? The point in all that, I believe, is that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to bless his children. God wants to bless his children with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God wants to bless his children above and beyond all we can ask or think. But along the way, does that mean everything's easy? Everything's fun? Everything's entertaining? Everything's pie in the sky till you die? No. And we'd be, uh, we'd be in error to try to send that message, right? Because all that does is create disillusioned people when they deal with the realities of life. But the reality of life is God ultimately has favor on his people. And sometimes along the way, God teaches us things through the laboratory of challenges and of tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so this guy, Jeremiah, he's got the favor of God, even though he's had a very, very hard life. Verse 13, so Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, okay, I didn't get that one right, but I've got all the rest of them right. Nebuchadnezzar, Rabsaris, Nergal, Sherezer, Rabmag, and all the, king, all the king of Babylon's chief officers, and they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah. You want to take note of that guy's name. Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam, the son of Shaphan, that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. This guy, Gedaliah, the king is basically going to appoint him to be the governor of that area of Jerusalem uh, after they've conquered. So that comes up in, in uh, chapter 40. So Jeremiah is basically uh, under the jurisdiction of the governor. And so they're going to make sure that uh, Jeremiah sort of has a personal bodyguard and he's going to dwell in the city in safety. Meanwhile, the, Lord, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the, inner, of the prison. So we're backtracking a little bit, okay? The word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison saying, go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian. Remember that guy? Go speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. You're going to see the city go down, he says. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. 
for I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Sort of a great sort of ending on that little story, right? So before all this went down, while Jeremiah was still in the court of prison, God told Ebed-Melech that he would take care of him. I love this. So, the same thing applies to Jeremiah and Ebed-Melech that applies to us, right? Because, again, in the New Testament context, we know that all things do what? Work together for good to those who love God. Do we love God? Amen. Amen. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Does it always feel like all things are working together for good? No. So sometimes do we just have to accept that and say, God, I don't see the big picture like you do, but I trust that all things are working together for good. Amen. Amen. God takes care of us. God saved us. God has a plan for us that is good. Along the way, he loves to have fellowship with us. And yet, there are sometimes miry pits in this journey, right? Sometimes there are guys with names that we can't pronounce that throw us into dungeons. And that's just how it rolls, right? Does that mean God's not taking care of us? Not at all. Does that mean God doesn't see us down in that dungeon? Not at all. Not at all. It means that God is just doing that thing in our lives and our job is to be faithful and say, thanks for watching out for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're so good to us. Thank you that you had your eyes on Jeremiah even during all those lonely times and all those uh, hurting times and all those starving times. And, and, uh, and Lord, you do all that for us as well. Through the good times and the challenges, Lord, we know that you are, you are there. You are there with us. That You've taken such good care of us. You've demonstrated your love in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You've demonstrated your love for us over and over and over again. And Lord, we're so very thankful. Lord, help us to to just walk faithfully. Lord, we know that we may not get a book named after us like Jeremiah, but we do know that we have opportunities every day to act like this guy Ebed-Melech. That we have opportunities to Uh, stand up for those that uh, can't speak for themselves. We have opportunities to uh, demonstrate compassion for those that need it. We have opportunities to speak the truth in love. We have opportunities to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. So Lord, help us just to do that graciously and faithfully and help our lives to bring glory and honor to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.